0: Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast, brought to you by Martin Till. I'm McCain Vogel, Assistant Editor of No-Till Farmer. Today, we are revisiting one of our most popular episodes of the show, which features Frank Leseter, as he hosts a panel discussion with six individuals who attended every National No-Tillage Conference since it began in 1993. Alan Berry, Alan Brooks, R.D. Woolheader, Brian Van Holten, Randall Reeder, and the late Scott Davidson. Scott passed away in April of 2021, but attended all 29 national no-tillage conferences held during his lifetime.
1: So I'm gonna introduce the panelists for you. Alan Brooks, Marcuson, Wisconsin, Scott Davidson, Dalton City, Illinois, Alan Barry, Navarro, Illinois, R. D. Walder, Walcott, Indiana, Brian Van Hulten. what? Walcott. I understand. Corrected already. Walcott. Wouldn't you think in 25 years, I remember where the guy came from? (laughs) Sorry. Brian Van Holten, Coal Camp, Missouri. I think the first conference he came to, he wasn't a drinking age. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't say he didn't drink. And <laughs> hey, Randall Reeder, who's an ag uh, engineer at Ohio State University, and pretends he's Will Rogers. All right, let's start first. Uh, Brian, let's start with you. How'd you get started in O2? You kind of went cold turkey, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I got started uh, in 1992, actually. Uh, came to the conference in 1993 and had just completed my full season of no-till. Uh, started, I was farming about 300 acres at that point, uh, 100% no-till, corn, soybeans, with a small percentage of wheat mixed in, and had an off-farm job at that time. Uh, by the spring of 96, I'd gotten to just a little under 900 acres and the no-till con- concept was working out really well for me and I decided that I had enough there to quit my day job and and try to make it full-time farming. And uh, in the summer of 1997, planted my first uh, cover crop of hairy vetch and planted corn into that. Uh, had some struggles, uh, stayed very wet after I planted the corn and... Uh, <coughs> Flat, poorly drained soils that I've got, kind of struggled and didn't get the stand. I wanted Tried it again the next year and kind of had the same problem and kind of gave up on corn at that point or planting cover crops in front of corn at that point. Uh, In the fall of 2002, tried cover cropping cereal rye after corn stalks and got along well with that. Uh, Switched to annual ryegrass a few years after that for the deep rooting and... uh, Got along well, I observed that the sheet erosion uh, was tremendously reduced with the no-till, but I still fought gully erosion and uh, in the concentrated flow areas and wanted to get cover crops uh, on every acre hundred percent of the time. So uh, listening to Gabe Brown and Dave Brandt and several others at this conference uh, talking about more diversity, I decided to head more in that direction. Uh, I'm now trying to convert to corn, bean, wheat rotation with a full one-third of each crop. And uh, I'll be planting corn and a cover crop of probably cereal rye and uh, maybe a couple other species with that, followed by soybeans. That all goes to to wheat. And then harvest the wheat, spread poultry litter, and a diverse cover crop behind that and try to build the soil organic matter up. I'm anxious to bring some beef cattle into the mix as time goes on. I think that'd be a good fit in my area. Um, I realize that that's probably not something that'll work for a lot of you with your deep, uh, rich soils. They can already grow very good crops, but uh, for me and my fringe area, the grain belt just on the edge with thin, eroded to soils, uh, I guess my goal is to someday be able to grow the kind of crops that those of you with the better soil do. And, 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 uh, and hopefully uh, get to the point you are now already. Um, And this spring I'll be planting 3,100 acres uh, this coming year. You just answered my question. I was gonna
1: ask how many acres you're gonna have this year. What's neat about this panel is that we're gonna cover a lot of stuff and then you'll be able to corner them in the halls tonight or tomorrow and get some more ideas out of them. R.D., tell us a little about your operation, what's happened in the last 25 years.
3: I started no tilling that's a demonstration or trying it in eighty-one with corn. You know, been in we farm in three counties in northeast Indiana. It's a lake area, recreation area. The soils very tremendously, so, you know. You get a size of this room, you could have more, you know, two or three soil types in an area, it just changes that quick. But anyway, I tried no-till corn, like I say, in eighty-one. Um, it was a year that we had twenty-five inches of rain for April, May, and June. The corn was, I would call it a success, even though we used a bubble colder. If any of you are familiar with that, it was a few years later I figured out it was referred to as a compaction colder. It was probably more designed for conventional tillage or sandy soil to compact the sidewalls. Fortunately, most of the time, the first couple of years, it worked. And of course, uh, you know, I think the next year, I was probably close to 100% no-till corn. You know, it's not one of them gradually working into something. You try it. If it works, you kind of jump into it. Uh, soybeans, I think the first time was 84 after the pick year for the younger people, payment and kind. The older ones here the, of us, you know, we know what that was. I would call it a disaster that year. We used a 15-foot Marlis drill um, where I tried, and we had to go down a paved road, very hilly. Of course, 15-foot sounds good, except with the end wheel, it was probably more like 18-foot wide, and with not much of a berm, it was too dangerous to take down roads. But the good part out of it was where I had weed control, and in 83, we did not have much in, in the way of post-emerge herbicide. Herb, you know? For that there, and but if I had the weed control, it was great. And then a couple of years later, I tried a Great Plains ten foot drill in June, and the beans were above average. And the following year, we kind of jumped into the colder cart with the Great Plains, which was just a conventional drill. You know, if the colder's in front of it, it was great the first fifteen hundred to two thousand acres. After that. You know, it was a minimum of an hour every day, if you're lucky, not two hours for maintenance. And Great Plains was a great company to work with. They'd find the weakest part, they'd work on that. Then you just find the next weakest part, work good, and the next weakest part. (laughs) So, you know, and then the 750 drills came out and we actually, you know, I don't know, I've had three or four of those or more. We still have one from back in the 90s sometime. We do some cover crops with it now. If we do any wheat or cereal rye for the to grow for our own seed, we'll use a 750.
1: You, are you guys all nervous up here? No. Huh? <laughs> Perfect. The nervous guys always tell the truth. <laughs> Alan, tell us a little about your operation.
4: Yours is a little different than some of these other guys. Yes, I, I they mic me up. So it's a, I'm a contract vegetable grower, and so uh, this has not been an uh, more of a evolution for me because my father was a professor at the University of Wisconsin and very interested in this. And so 45 years ago, Frank and I and my father met. So we were working on with vegetable production with lower disturbance ideas. And in the vegetable industry, that was scandalous. Uh, we had one contract that said plowing fall box spring box that was moldboard plowing uh, to start with and uh, you would they wanted you to have that fall box checked so we didn't and they were so upset that they sent a man out from the headquarters and said no more contracts unless you plow not just disturb the surface plow so my dad says well have you ever done this before uh, no why don't you wait and see what happens and then make a decision never heard any more from him <laughs> so this has been a, 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 a long range thing for me and we are looking at we always plant in, fir- in, in firm, undisturbed soil. We may disturb the surface, but our seed is always going into undisturbed soil.
1: Alan's up in the central area of uh, Wisconsin, does a lot of double cropping. You have crops after early peas, right? I do at okay. times, yes. Right. Irrigate, so, right. What do you got, you got fields, used to have fields 20, 30, 40 miles away. I, I'm spread out for 16 miles today. When uh, gas prices got really high, he bought a cheap little car and was driving back and forth to run the irrigation systems, right?
4: Yes, it takes me, it's 40 to 50 miles to observe everything that I've got. So right. it saves Alan, good money. tell us about your operation.
5: Well, my operation, uh, it said here on the information to start back about 25 years ago and at that point in time we was farming about a thousand acres half corn half soybeans uh just a little no-till i actually started no-tilling them when i had a neighbor come in and no-till some uh, plant some soybeans and standing corn stalks and like 1988-89 long about 90-91 i bought a colder cart and a drill on it, a 20-foot outfit with a rawson cart and uh, used that for a few years, but at any rate, over the years we started to expand in our operation. Uh, my son, uh, who has a full-time crop consulting scouting business, got into the operation with me, and uh, we uh, now are up to uh, a little over three thousand acres that we've been working. Uh, we uh, got involved with Marion Calmer. I did back in about nineteen sixty or ninety six, uh, I believe it was. I planted my first fifteen-inch corn. Built my first 15 inch head using his stuff in 97 or so. And uh, we ran along with the narrow rows and uh, didn't do much uh, with trying to no till corn at that point in time, but we did keep no tilling our soybeans. Uh, then, I, about 10 years or 12 ago, we uh, rented the Northeast uh, f- uh, field in Missouri. The Des Moines River runs on the north side of the field. The Mississippi River runs on the east side, and sometimes it runs on top of it. But uh, at any rate, uh, it doesn't take much fertility there. We've soil tested about all the way up to these putting nitrogen on it. Uh, I say we've got the best that Illinois and Iowa's got to offer. So uh, thanks to those conventional tillers, uh, it saves us on a little fertilizer investment. But uh, One
1: of the uh, things we're going to ask you later is the biggest mistake you've ever made in no-till. It wasn't getting involved with Marion Comer, was it?
5: Well, uh, that could be. uh, (laughs) And I've got a habit established. I seem to have to hang around him and and you Uh, a little bit. uh, So Scott, tell us a little about your operation. Uh, Well, we're uh, central
6: Illinois, about 15 miles south of Decatur. That's where the uh, Farm Progress show is every other year. Uh, Flat, black drummer soils and uh, corn bean rotation uh started no-till well the transition was 91 through 94 for a better way of taking care of our <laughs> renewable resource and the main thing we had to learn first off was patience now if it's too wet go fish or spend more time with your family uh, when the other guys were out working the ground, we had to just sit it out and let it dry out. Uh, I mean, sometimes, I well, I learned that you have to do that or you're gonna be out there with a spade for about an hour cleaning out the mud. And uh, I remember the first no-till conference, I gave uh, Alice Musser my money for the next year, which would have been in, yeah, St. Louis. And because uh, I knew I needed to get back with a group that were on the same page. To learn how to take care of our soils better,
1: one year we had a guy who had come to the conference three or four times, and Alice was talking to him on the phone or something, and he said he wasn't coming he wasn't coming this year, and she said, Oh it's too bad we're going to miss you and he said well we're going to have we're going to have a baby just about that time and so I thought We talk about being patient in no-till and not rushing to the fields. And if you look back, nine months gets you about April 20th. So this is what he was doing instead of pushing himself out in the field. (laughs) Randall, you're the only one on the panel that's not a farmer. Tell us a little about uh,
7: your background, what you've done in no-till. no till Uh, well, it's it's good to be up here with the real farmers. I'm kind of the oddball character uh, on this panel. Uh, but I started at Ohio State in 1979. And about three or four years later, uh, I uh, started working with ridge tillage, ridge tillage programs, and then took over a research project in the middle 1980s that included ridge till and plowing. And we converted uh, some of that to no till uh, in a few years. Uh, And those plots are still going on, by the way, in Northwest Ohio. Uh, We've added some things to it. We've added cover crops and some other uh, research to that. Uh, I've also started compaction plots in 1987. I won't go into much detail, but they started out with shallow chisel plowing everything and then subsoiling part of them to see uh, if we could eliminate deep tillage with subsoiling. And uh, our compaction was done, uh, you fellas will think about this, a huge 600 bushel grain cart. (laughs) (laughs) And that was 20 tons uh, on the axle. Uh, And what we found out was that when we subsoiled, it improved yields. So subsoiling was reducing the compaction in the deep layers and uh, our research probably sold quite a few subsoilers in that area. Well, in 19, excuse me, in 2002, and we've continued it this way since then, I said, the heck with chisel plying, we're gonna go continuous no-till and compare no-till to subsoiling and you folks will love this result the no-tilling resists compaction better than the plots that are subsoiled about every three years in other words the yields are better where we uh had to no-till compared to the, to the uh, subsoiling so uh, that's part of what i've done i've also Much of my job has been put at organizing a conservation tillage conference and we started that in the middle 1980s. Uh, So that conference actually started before this one. And I'm also involved in planning no-till conferences and field days in Ohio. So let's, let's talk
1: about this a minute. Ohio State, a land grant university? Of course. In the Big Ten. And a football powerhouse.
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they're probably number two in the nation because they lost to the national champs. They lost to the national champs. Are, yep. You knew where I was going. We you don't took want my, to talk took my line. <laughs> I'm gonna, think, I'm, a question uh, I want you to think about. I'm going to ask you what the biggest impact no-tills had in your operation, whether it's money, weed control, time with the family, or whatever. Um, Scott, we'll
6: yeah. start with you. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> it's the people that uh, I've met over the years, like uh, Carlos Cravetti from uh, Chile. And uh, I met him after the first no-till conference in Peoria. And he was like a little, he was like a preacher pounding away at the podium about the scourge of, of, of tillage. And he definitely doesn't like baling up residue off the field and burning it. The, gr- the ground grew it and the ground needs to keep it. And um, other people will be like, uh, uh, 93, I was clear at the back of the room and I found out real quick that this, this guy from North Dakota, dwayne beck does not need a microphone you know hello <laughs> and uh <laughs> then there's another one that's uh jill clapperton she gives a, a heck of a good presentation i mean she shows slides of the beneficial critters on the top of the soil profile that look like a scientific right out of a science movie i mean they're and she's a she's a firecracker she'd jump off the stage and throw her fist in the air and say, I know how to take care of people. I got a boy six four and one six six. And if I hear a phone go off, I'm gonna come out and get $20 from you. I don't <laughs> know if you remember that or not, but she's she's really good. And um, let's see, there's another one. Oh, um, always like to have one guy come by to give us words of wisdom. Uh, Will Rogers, right? Is he here? Yeah, here. He's here. Yeah. He's here. here? Okay, yeah. all right. Doesn't He's have good. his cowboy hat on.
1: Yeah. All the people we talked about, we've had as speakers. Carlos Crivetto from Chile, we've had we had a couple times, uh, and all the others. Interesting story with Jill Clapperton. Her son was a student at North Dakota State University in their um, flying program, and uh, he. This, I think he graduated like two years ago. And uh, North Dakota has a really good program on drones. And out of his graduating class that year, there were maybe 10 or 15. Seventy five percent of those kids went to work for Google. And uh, who's going to deliver stuff with drones? (laughs) Brian, what's your uh, number one
2: impact with (laughs) no-till? Yeah, I would say uh, no-till for me is has been uh, something that allowed me to farm on my own terms. I have always been kind of fussy about equipment and and not liking things to get bent or scratched or anything. And I, it's been difficult for me to manage people. I've always kind of liked to work on my own and and uh, because of my unrealistic expectations for labor sometimes. And uh, no-till allows me to do what I enjoy doing every day without the stress of managing people. I've uh, been fortunate. We've don't have as big of fields as a lot of you guys do, but, uh, you know, basically I can take one tractor and with a 40 foot planter and a 40 foot air seeder and 120 foot sprayer and and uh, farm a little over 3000 acres on my own with with just some part time help moving grain away from the combine. And, uh, you know, with a tillage system, that would be impossible. So it's kind of allowed me to live my dream and do what I enjoy doing, uh, whereas I couldn't do it the other way. Okay. So R.D., what about you?
3: Pretty hard to say for just the one benefit, but the main thing is no-tills enabled me to cover a lot more acres. You know, erosion, less erosion. All the you know, it's just most of you know the benefits. But we have a lot of hills in our area, and you know we just don't get much erosion anymore. Rocks, we have to deal with a lot of rocks. You know, a lot of people like rollers to smash rocks down. Well, you know, you're just you still got the problem next year. And if, you know, if you realize people with rocks, if conventional tillage, you hit a rock, it kind of gives pretty well. No-till, it's kind of knocked in the soil. It doesn't give very damn well much at all. And it's a little harder on the machinery. So we work mighty hard on getting rid of rocks. We don't, don't have to keep dealing with
1: them. My wife and I were down in Virginia, maybe 10 years ago and went into a gift shop on one of the plantations. And somehow the lady behind the counter heard me say something about no-till. And she says, I hate no-till. And I said, well, why? She said, moboard plowing turns up some Civil War relics that we can make a ton of money off. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is about uh, rocks. Charlie Hammer, who comes to this conference quite often, I don't think he's here this year, but... Uh, no-till was cut into some of his cash, too, because uh, he'll get landscape contractors coming up from uh, Chicago and buying a semi-load of big rocks at big, big bucks. And I remember when I was a kid, we used to haul rocks out of our fields and put them in the fence rows, and I go into a garden shop now, and that damn big rock is selling for 125 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Who did I meet? Alan, biggest... Thing you've gotten out
4: of I think it's learning, and this is something that all of you can uh, will do too. Learning how to think objectively, and you have to you're 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 being exposed to many different ideas now, and throughout the years, uh, I've been exposed to a huge number of ideas here and other places, and we're learning how to cope with those, to try them, and to uh, objectively analyze them is probably one of the biggest benefits I've had.
1: Alan didn't tell the whole story about it. the, not being a, the canning company wanting him to plow. Uh, one of the early years when he no-tilled after they told him he had to plow and he didn't do it, was a wet, was a wet spring during harvest season, probably in June. And uh, pea harvesters couldn't work in most of the conventional fields. And one day they found out in his no-till fields they could work. And there were, what, five or six harvesters in one field yep. that day. And he never heard another word from the canning company about
5: having the moldboard plow. Did I miss anybody? Alan, okay. Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest advantages I find with no-till, it's a lot less stressful, especially at planting time in the spring. Uh, back when we used to do a lot of tillage in the 80s and the early 90s there, uh, you know, you had more tractors to fool with and you had to keep the equipment, the tillage tools are running and they had to be so far ahead of the planter. And uh, you just had more things to deal with. Now, the only thing we have to do is get on the tractor with the planter and go out and go go to planting. And it it just is a lot more relaxed and easier to get the crop in and less stress at that real critical time in the spring. Randall, what do you see as the biggest uh, pluses for no-till with the farmers you work with?
7: Uh, Well, I think number one is eliminating erosion as we've added cover crops. And I think another thing, I don't know, (laughs) this may be a different question, but I uh, see the opportunity of injecting fertilizer, injecting phosphorus, because we've got a problem with Western Lake Erie. there's problems with nitrogen in the Gulf of Mexico, so we had to be more precise. And I and we use the word injecting uh, intensely because the word incorporate gets included sometimes. And for most farmers, if they hear the word incorporate, they just translate that as plowing. So uh, injecting. We've got uh, John Deere twenty five ten that does a good job of injecting. Uh, exactrix guy guy Swanson's here, so. Uh, those are opportunities whether and specifically designed for no-till.
1: So it reminds me, you mentioned ridge till earlier, and we had a ridge till newsletter for a few years, and then we kind of got out of it. And uh, ridge tillers used to get really mad at some of the no-tillers because they were always bad-mouthing ridge till. So what's happening with strip till today? We're doing controlled traffic, which the ridge tillers believed in. We're doing deep... Uh, injection of fertilizer which the ridge tillers believed in we were cultivating up a berm which the ridge tillers believed in and we were banding fertilizer which the ridge bill people uh, believed in but they used to get mad at the no-tillers who were bad-mouthing ridge till.
4: I think
7: the no-tillers learned from the ridge tillers. Exactly, right.
0: We'll come back to the episode in a moment. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Martin Till, for supporting today's podcast. As farmers themselves, the people at Martin Till know the frustration that unforeseen obstacles can bring, especially weather. While no one can control drought or untimely rains, Martin Till can help equip your planner to allow for more time spent planting and less time waiting to get seed in the ground. Thank you for considering Martin Till products. And now, let's get back to the conversation.
1: Let's get in a little lighter spot here and talk about something that happened zany or something. You got, any, you got a story, fun type thing from the no-till
7: conference? Oh, I've got, to, I've got to throw in a Will Rogers quote. that I just thought of this this morning. Um, that certainly applies. A man learns by two things. One is reading and the other is associating with smarter people. Uh, now think about these conferences that we've had for 25 years. Uh, you are coming here to learn from smarter people. And we sure had a long list of speakers here today who were experts. Another thing he said was, we're all ignorant, we're just ignorant on different subjects.
5: <laughs>
7: <laughs> so, again, it's the idea of learning from those who are smarter and smarter in other areas uh, than, than we are. And the point about reading, well, you mentioned the Till newsletter, but the No-Till Farmer. So we're all reading every month and learning in that way, too. Um, terms of the fun things i think all of you would agree with this probably the from my standpoint the most fun was the will rogers presidential primaries (laughs) in in 2008 and uh, 2012. um Let's see, uh, you played Mitt Romney, I think, and Steve Groff was very good as Senator Santorum. But I think all of us would agree the star of the show was Hillary
5: <laughs>
7: <laughs> and and Musser, uh, Alice Musser in her uh, short orange skirt um, and That's that's the only time Hillary's ever been in a skirt. I I, uh, (laughs) I commented to somebody this week that if if Hillary had worn a skirt once in a while, she might have got elected. And they said, no, that would have reduced the vote (laughs) rather than increasing it.
1: Anybody else got something? One I'll I'll let me tell this one first. We we were here in St. Louis, must have been the fourth or fifth year. It was a guy from Iowa who would come to most, most of the conferences up that time. But he didn't come that year, but he sent his two sons. Sent his two sons to the conference. So it's a Tuesday through Saturday conference. One of our staffers was going up and are coming down in the elevator on Saturday about 11 o'clock. And these two brothers are talking. And one said to the other, How are we going to tell dad we never went to a single session? (laughs) (laughs) True
5: true story. True story. Alan. Well, I was just going to tell a story that we reviewed a little bit last night with uh, Frank and... uh, and his uh the way he used to run the conference was very strict about everything and one of the things you always had to shut your cell phones off and so forth so he made that announcement went down and sat in the audience Marion and calmer come up done his presentation and uh, near the end of that presentation the cell phone went off guess whose phone it was <laughs> Marion looked over at Frank and said, Well, that'll be 10 bucks. <laughs> Frank immediately, as he always does when him and Marion are bannering back and forth, he had an answer. He said, Well, that was my wife calling me to wake me up at the end of your talk. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> another, another true story. <laughs> Anybody else got anything to say? I've seen something
6: Stop. one time where you had a movie made of you in your driveway with a big box of cell phones, and you were busting them up oh, with yeah, a that's right. golf club or a ball bag. Sledgehammer. We used a, sledge a sledgehammer on sledgehammer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, shut that phone off. Right. <laughs> Did you tell the joke about Aunt Meade? Well, about what? About Aunt Meade. You used to tell a lot of jokes back in the early days. <laughs> you remember the one about Aunt Mead, I guess no, now? No, I got no. dementia. Oh. Uh, pardon me? Dementia. Uh, well, oh, you met her? No. no.
1: Go ahead.
5: <laughs> I thought
6: maybe you remembered. No.
1: Let's, uh, I, we we talked about what no tills meant to you. Tell us the biggest mistake you've ever made in no-till, and then tell us how you solved it.
2: Anybody want to start? Brian, start. Uh, probably the biggest mistake for me... Um, don't give up too early you know in 1997 i planted my first uh, cover crop and uh you know i was only a year out of my day job at that point and and had a stand failure on the first one and and replanted the corn and, and wasn't what i wanted even on the second planting and tried the same thing the next year and, and i i gave up and and uh you know i look back and and i regret that i i've always sincerely felt that if you uh You know if you do the right thing for the right reason the good lord will back you up every time and i I should have had the confidence to stick with that um you know what more what could be more right than than you know protecting the the land with the cover crop and you know if i'd have just stuck with it uh to the degree that people like gabe brown and dave brandt and others that i've learned about at this conference you know i'd be 20 years into this thing at this point and I would probably be seeing the same incredible results that they've seen, and and so uh, yeah, I didn't see it through. I only went part way, and and you know now I'm 50 years old, and I've lost a lot of time, and and really starting full bore now, I'm I'm just kind of setting something up for someone else, and which is okay, but but uh, I really regret that I didn't see that through.
1: I've had a number of people tell me the biggest regret is they didn't start doing something much earlier. When cover crops comes up. My dad used to seed cover crops in the late 1940s, I can remember out there, and then cover crops kind of got away from us. Now they're coming back. Um, Alan, what do you got for
4: the biggest mistake you ever made? Um, Probably more than once, but (laughs) assuming a weed was dead when it wasn't.
1: (laughs) That's about six words, man, that's powerful. I won't cut you off in the middle of that answer. It's
6: <laughs> <laughs> too wet, or too wet. That's, that's even better. That's Full, it. Yeah,
5: right. that's less words. Right. But, right. Alan. Probably a little too slow at parking the disc in the field cultivator, but, uh, you know, it took me a few years coming to these conferences to figure out it needed parked, and by around 2,000 slightly after, then we pretty well parked it for both corn and beans where it belongs. Great. R.D.? Speaking of a
3: field cultivator, it had to be one of the early conferences. I went home and from listening to a speaker, bought a field cultivator. You know, it was just the opposite of what you would expect at the no-till conference. And, you know, he had data saying he got better yields using a field cultivator. You know, we still have it. It gets used. You know, we still do sporadic tillage um, on our continuous irrigated corn. We actually are doing ripping or you know, ch- colder chiseling now we had, cause we'd done the VT, the vertical tillage stuff, either a disc or Salford, you know, different tools. We, we were getting the compaction layer, just several inches down our corn roots were going sideways. And this is on pretty sandy, gravelly soil, stuff that two inches of rain means you want not much more and wait till tomorrow to get back on it. We had a compaction layer and that was kind of one of the worst. Randall, you got something? I'm saying he just got fired from the no-till
5: conference. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we still take his money. <laughs>
7: uh, no, uh, let me just add something. It's not answering that question, probably, but uh, one of the biggest benefits that I had because of the conferences that I'm planning, and by the way, most university professors are smart enough not to plan conferences, they just go speak at them. Uh, but uh, meeting people here and hearing them and then inviting them to come to Ohio and speak at our conferences. I think that's one of the biggest benefit that I've gotten personally and also a benefit for uh, our Ohio farmers.
1: Randall did a lot of work on controlled traffic and actually spent,
7: what, three, four months in Australia looking at it at one time. Right. Uh, well, going back 25 years, that first conference, I, I, was on the microphone and uh, answered a question that came from the audience. And my only two words that year were controlled traffic. (laughs) So so that was my start as a speaker at this conference. Um, uh,
1: One of the things I remember about, about the first conference, there was a guy here from the thumb area of Michigan, probably around Bay City or someplace called me up in February. He had never no tilled an acre in his life. Had a sale in mid-February, sold every piece of tillage equipment he had, and went cold turkey that spring on 1,200 acres of no-till. And he made it work, but man, he didn't get any, he didn't get get me encouraging him to do it. Not at at 1,200 acres.
3: I'm going to say on mistakes, there's a couple of things. One, more is, I think, most people underestimate what their cost of running the equipment across the fields are. I think they, many of us, and I'm been guilty of it. We just way underestimate what it's costing us when you figure all the cost. And secondly, you know, we most of us are doing variable rate technology or variable rate application of uh, fertilizer. You know, I tried some of this. I don't know whenever they started doing it worked with two companies on a smaller, you know, maybe 10% of our acres on each company there. One was a three-year program. They wanted to build the soil fertility levels up to too high levels. And they wanted to use Pell-Lime to correct pH. You know, Pell-Lime has its place, but you don't wanna do it every year. And to me, they wanted to sell fertilizer. You know, too many labs or whatever, they were trying to build it up a little higher level than needed. In our soils, we have some pretty light soils. We cannot hold potash very well. You know, most of you don't have that problem, but we don't hold it. And then the other company had a four-year program, and it was um, the third year before they got the lime applied. You know, it was like that, you know, they had too many acres. We weren't very high up on their priority list to get it on. So, I mean, we've already lost a couple of years, and then when they did apply it, You know, we had our local elevator I dealt with quite a bit. They scooped up enough fertilizer that the other company spread out just with their payloader. They scooped up another, I don't know, five (coughs) to ten ton to spread. And along with that, we had a, they were doing three acre grids, which I do zone testing now, have that done. But then we had a 21 acre field, rectangular field to me. It sounds like ought to have three, or excuse me, seven, three acre samples. We had eight, that sounds. A lot better because they just put it down the middle so they had a half a grid on the top of each of each side you know that all sounds good until you look at it how many of you have ever seen two samples side by side have identical results <laughs> and so instead of doing eight samples they just did six
1: he's talking about variable rate and the other night at the reception i sat with david barton from southern mississippi and his wife They've been variable rating fertilizer. They're variable rate, rate <coughs> applying lime. And they're also variable rate applying chicken manure. So they've really gone a long ways. Brian was talking about taking good care of his equipment. If you were in the machine repeat session the other day, he talked about how, how talking about how you've really taken care of your equipment can really increase the value of it. And they had the guy, I think from Arkansas talk about how his wife would take a toothbrush and clean the combine cab every year and how it really
6: increased the value of that um, combine at resale time. Benefits of no-till, I got a story to tell. I heard this from Jim Kinsella back in the early 90s. It's like uh, when you have a winger roast going on and the, the fire starts to die down, You what do you do? You take a stick and you stoke the fire and you stoke the fire it gets hotter and it burns the wood up quicker. Well, the same way with tillage, you're burning up organic matter, you're not creating, you're destroying. We're gonna have to wind this up.
1: Anybody, I miss anything that somebody wants to make a real comment about? uh
6: i had my dad down there five years ago and you got a aerial shot of the progress show right that's right. what we do and uh I, i'm running out of wall space i don't know about you <laughs> but we didn't get it done my son talked me into it and i started to but i found out that there's they put a net over progress city because of drone activity so there's another piece of equipment for your machinery shed <laughs> <laughs> We uh,
1: we have a we have a drone at our company. We've shot a bunch of photos with it and video. And, and Jeff Jeff, who's kind of our photographer, design guy, uh, is uh, shoots weddings and is into giving uh, drone coverage to uh, weddings and doing that. And Jeff will also tell you that uh, there's a drone someplace. He doesn't know where it is. It belongs to him, but he doesn't know where it is. <laughs>
0: That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast. Thanks to Frank Lesseter, Alan Barry, Alan Brooks, R.D. Woolheader, Brian Van Holten, Randall Reeder, and Scott Davidson for that great conversation. We hope you'll join these familiar names and hundreds of other no-tillers at the 2024 National No-Tillers Conference coming up January 9th through 12th in Indianapolis. Go to no-tillconference.com to register. And thanks to our sponsor, Martin Till, for helping to make this podcast possible. A transcript of this episode and our archive of previous podcast episodes are both available at notillfarmer.com. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening. Keep on no-tilling and have a great day.